don't know, but JB, I'm I'm thinking Westminster maybe in the pack again. What are you yeah, thinking? Yeah, probably. I think so. These guys are uh, looking pretty interesting. What uh, their assessments are? And it, oh, 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 oh! Whoa! That, in the past. No kidding. Wow! Oh, the Godfather, the original founder of in the huddle. What do we do to deserve this? Executive Vice Chairman Henry. Emeritus. Amazing. Hurricane Wren. No, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that right now in uh, upstate New York, but uh, Eric, how you doing, buddy? Hey, when duty calls, I answer. And uh, <laughs> the preeminent D3 Liberty League, but beyond Liberty League, the preeminent uh, – Mass media specialists of Division Three, you know, football that I know and love are st staring back at me in one place. I know, right? It's it's, uh, it's a little amazing. Um, you know, we wanted to bring you in. I, this was arranged because obviously nobody would have, uh, you know, gotten former RPI All American offensive tackle Eric Ren typed in at a time if we didn't know you were coming, but uh, we did. Uh, I like that. I'm just look at that. I mean, you've got like. Holy smokes, look at this. I can put all this stuff up on the screen and read about things. And boy, I remember when we I used to have to work the the, the computer keyboard and try to like cue up uh music and <laughs> we might we might give them a little dose of that uh during this, but uh put that sign back up again. Just so the you original... know, by the way, guys, this is this is like watching ESPN. We're gonna zoom in on you here because yeah. uh, we want folks to see. Your late mother, uh, Joyce Friend, uh, who passed uh, last year, was it? Has, has it been a year, basically, almost? August 1, 2020. So wow. Just a hair Time over flies, bud. She, uh, she made that sign for when we were doing it uh, in, from your basement back when on uh, Block Talk Radio version of uh, In the Huddle. Uh, when we were just doing audio, we had two L's in our name and everything else. And uh, look at us now. Uh, we're the NBBFB Huddle. Isn't it? You're in the huddle. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Come on, Joyce Wren. Uh, she had it right. She <laughs> did. Joyce and Steve were our show, biggest fans. I was going to say, after every show, I would get the phone call, and uh, they'd want to recap the show. And I said, can you give me a day or two? I've just been on the air for like, you know. <laughs> two hours. 90 minutes. <laughs> two hours. <laughs> I need a little downtime. Oh, yeah, I remember the old days we Studio tried to get one. people to call in. Remember that? It were, it's like, you know, Larry King Live we were trying to be or something. It was just one wasn't of those working. Callers. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a, good, a, little, a little bit of trivia, though. If I recall correctly, my memory serves me, that the, the format of the show originally wasn't even D3 football or Liberty League. I think we were trying to, trying to do something kind of cross between – Rush Limbaugh, not really. Yeah, well, <laughs> Rush Limbaugh meets I, Howard Stern. <laughs> I, oh boy! I think our uh, stuff on uh, D3 football's message boards made us kind of this uh, odd yin and yang back when, and uh, that hasn't changed much, I guess. Some people were uh, just saying to us uh, just a day ago, JB, that uh, I, I'm too well liked right now. Something's wrong. Uh, so. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm supposed to be the hated one still of the group uh, because of my hard-hitting questions and uh, dialogue, I, whatever that means. You like the Howard Stern show. 
you're like the Howard Cosell of D3 football. You start off as, as the, uh, you know, the arch nemesis, and then you do it so long that you grow to this lovable icon. I don't know about that, Eric Wren. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make James well, Kirk Herbst? James. I, I think I need to have shorter hair and like some frosted tips to pull that off. He's he's Dandy Don Merida. Oh, okay. Turn up yeah. the lights. The yeah. party's over. Yeah, I Come can on, sing. I can sing. Yeah. Yeah. So so Eric, let's talk real briefly. RPI might not let uh, visiting spectators in uh, to watch your games. Uh, I know you and I have talked about the COVID situation and the challenges it presents and everything else. Make your plea. What's your thought about that type of situation at your alma mater? Go for it. Well, and I don't know who's making that call, if that's the athletic department. I think you might have saw on the news, Frank, it was actually big news in the RPI and, and college community that Dr. Jackson, the, the longtime president uh, of the past 20 years, has announced her retirement. Um I don't know if uh, she even weighed in on this. I really don't know. I'll tell you, it's interesting to hear, though, that that's what RPI is doing because that stadium is so big that they could easily socially distance in that stadium with all the fans and, and not have a problem. Okay. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I live in Saratoga Springs where, you know, on a, on a weekend at this time of year, you, you, you drive through town and there's, there's 15, 20,000 people at the track and people are frequenting all the – the hot spots. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I think RPI as an organization, as an institution has, has played things very cautiously, very safe along the way through, you know, through, throughout the administration's tenure. So it's not a surprise. Um, I, I think as a, as a player, a uh, former player, I'm sure that the program, you know, the, the staff and the players are extremely thrilled to even have a chance to get out on the field. So I'm sure they'll take it at this point. You know, and just to get out there, but it's certainly a disappointment. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, every day I read the news, and it's you know the the breakthrough cases are happening, and the young people, and it's you know who who knows if it's a matter of time before our country is shut down again. Well, we're going to look at uh, the implications later in the show of COVID still to this day for college football Division Three. Obviously, uh, people are still concerned about that, but uh, let, let's not get too deep and uh, dark here for the rest of the uh, cold open. Eric, what you did and allowed me to do with you uh, in 2008, it's it's amazing that it's still around. And in fact, a lot of people tell us that we were kind of the bright light for them during COVID. Uh, so if you didn't think we mattered uh, in a lot of ways, people have been hitting us up already asking, when's your preseason show coming out for season 14? And here it is. Uh, welcome back, folks. But uh, you know, did you ever think that this would happen, that this was going to be a 14-year escapade, possibly? <laughs> well, no, partly because I, I would have assumed you would have been on national, uh, you know, major network TV by now, Frank, or or running a law practice, you know, somewhere with, you know, very famously. But no, and all, all kidding aside, I mean, you never know where anything's going to go, right? But I can tell you this, I mean, you, you look at... To, to your point, through COVID and not not having sports uh, during you know much of this time, uh, it's it's I I see it from both sides. I see it from being on your side of the you know this side of the of the it wasn't a camera. It, it was a it was a microphone at the time, but it's amazing how much work goes into the production 
I mean, certainly just the preparation that you and and James have put in, and I remember it, you know, being part of it, and I can only imagine how much more it's become because I see the segments you guys do. I mean, you know, you're before the pandemic, I mean, you were traveling places, you, you were meeting with people. It is truly a passion for anyone who does it, you know, especially small college sports and broadcasting in general. I mean, Frank, unless things have changed, I don't believe you have a uh, full production crew uh, there helping you. Uh, holding the lights, holding the boom mic. Um, are you taking interns? Did you start taking interns now to, to help? Uh, Jesus' so, son is in know. the background, and maybe he, he's uh, part of our production staff tonight. So I mean, you got you you are guys with full time jobs, with families, with with other interests, with careers. So to see the effort you put in on behalf of of the 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 small college, you know, athlete, the schools, the, the programs, you're, you're trying to do something that builds a, a culture around the sport. You know, it's it's. You turn on TV on any given you know weekend or Thursday night, and you're watching all the hype and hoopla and the coverage of, of Division One sports, and you know those are two people you see behind the camera talking to you. But what do you think there is? Dozens supporting them uh, in hundreds. in terms of you know all the work, hundreds, all the work that goes into it. So the practice you guys put out, it's just it, it, and and the time and the passion you put in is fantastic because it amplifies, it magnifies. The different schools, the, the the notoriety, the publicity that you know that these individual programs get at a small college level, where you're talking about you know fans that are really regional, are close knit to the program, it's fantastic. Your your reach has spread beyond upstate New York and the Liberty League. It's fantastic to see the updates roll in on, on social media. It's just something you're doing that, frankly, if you guys decide to hang it up, who's going to do it? I mean, it's. It's almost like you must feel. I mean, this is me interviewing you now. Do you feel a little bit of an obligation to the to the small college football community to keep this going? I mean, I'm sure there's times you guys are tired and you you've got other things to do, and you just you know you're finding ways and late nights to to put together the material for this. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I think ultimately it boils down though is you know what I, I recently heard from a, a parent from a, one of the southeast teams that, that we've recently started to cover, and, and he. Uh, you know, as a son, it plays, I think, at the um, University of the South or Sewanee. And he's like, you know, I'm obviously a little biased being a dad. And, you know, we're you're a dad, too, Eric. So, you know, kind of how it goes. But um, it is the purest form of, of athletics at, at this level, I think. It's really, um, you know, the kids who do it play the game because they love it. They're not going to get paid for it. I mean, maybe with NIL, they'll make a little bit of money now. But... Uh, you know, it's just it, there's something pure about it. It's it's kind of a niche thing, and I guess uh, it's something that we're we we both have have loved over the last you know 20 plus years of being you know alums, fans, etc. And it's just been a fun vehicle to sort of put these stories out there. And and honestly, the best part of it, as you probably remember, it's just meeting the kids, hearing their story, um, learning about their families, where they where they've come from, where they're going. It's really been a, a special ride for sure. Let me add, Eric. I think for you, me, even James, when he came on board initially, the one thing that hasn't changed for me is the interviews with the student athletes being the absolute highlight of doing this. And we're not going to have any, unfortunately, in this show. This is kind of more of the administrative stuff we're going to get out of the way. But we'll have more preseason stuff with the actual player interviews coming up you know, over the next week or so. 
But it's just amazing. Every time you go in, you're nervous about, you know, interviewing an 18 to 22 year old, how they're going to do and everything else. And these days we ask them to come on the show and without fail, they're like, absolutely. I know who you are. I love your work, this and that. It's we do a call out for, you know, like our in their own words segment. We get five, six really great ones we can all put together because they know who we are and trust us with it. And that's the thing. It's a trust factor. We've learned to trust that we're going to get some great student athletes from these schools and they trust us enough to tell their stories or have their stories put out there. And that's, I think, what we've grown into, but never really realized 13 years ago that that could really happen with this show. Well, I'll tell you, you guys in my mind are kind of like a combination, a cross of uh, Jimmy Fallon, Oprah, maybe uh, Larry King. And a little, a little, you get a uh, car, and you get a car. <laughs> little Ellen, you got you guys really, you know, tackle the human interest, the the athletic side of it. I will tell you this: I mean, I, I I love listening to James because you know, you know, James, you as a as a person who came into this, right? You know, you didn't have necessarily the broadcasting uh, um, experience that Frank did. Oh, there you go. Who who are you giving that yeah. away to? You didn't quite That's have the dog, broadcasting. But... That Frank did over the years, but nope. you're the you're the quiet assassin with the statistics and the not. I mean, you you can sit and rattle off off the top of your head colleges, uh, different parts of the country, small college athletics. Like I listen to guys talk about horses. Oh yeah, you know that horse ran a bad trip two weeks ago, and you know he's coming back, and this is his distance. I mean, you are the Svengali of uh, statistics and in, in college like sports. It. Sports, you really are. Okay. It's a, it's a great gift to the table. This is my chance to like. This is my chance to speak for the the general public out there because that's who I am now. I'm the general public, so the There's general public wants. Yeah, I know he's he's a man. man. The general public <laughs> wants you guys to know that you're doing such a great job, and and uh, it's it's really fantastic that you bring the uh, acclaim and attention to not only individuals but the overall culture of, of small college football and athletics in general, you're always spot on with, with your commentary, not only tackling, you know, you have the latitude in this platform too, not only tackle just straight sports, but I think you guys put a really nice, you know, analytical and social spin, you know, where it's appropriate on things. And it's just, you keep it real. It's, it's, it's great. Well, enough about us. We're going to have to talk about the Division Three football season coming up. Now, please thank you. send me the uh, Venmo payment that you promised yeah. for us. Uh, got, got the phone right here. We're ready to go. Yeah. Was that seventeen fifty per word you said or something right, like that? Right. Uh, exactly. Anyway, exactly. thank you for joining us. Uh, I, I know you've been through a lot, especially over the last year and a half of everything that's going on, and you've been through support for it's, us it's life along the way. We all do it. Yep. So it's exactly. I was actually thinking I might have to run up to my office. I know right where my helmet is. I was going to put it on because I remember watching James put one on and Frank put one on. And I thought, oh, this is great. We get to get, get the uniforms back on. You might see it's one a, in the intro coming up here, buddy. So yeah. let me just say, folks, thanks, Derek, Ren, for joining us here. Saying you're a red tackle, as uh, he used to be known. And, folks, that's right. it's finally time. It is time for episode one of season 14 of In the Huddle.
Well, thanks again to Eric Wren for joining us. Uh, Senor Red Tackle, always great. And we thank him for the uh, accolades and the uh, views uh, that he gave throughout that. A uh, little bit longer than we thought. Yeah, exactly. A little bit longer than we thought uh, that would go. But, um, you know, it's been a long road. Uh, the yeah. year and a half that we've uh, pretty much had to piece together shows and what's next and everything else. Uh, it's been a lot, and uh, he's experienced a lot himself in his personal life and whatnot, yeah. but he's always been there for us, and we appreciate him uh, immensely. We appreciate you immensely. You've been uh, hitting us up when season 14. This is it. Welcome to season 14, and we happen to be in Orlando at James's humble abode. Uh, this is actually uh, his accessory apartment that he comes to to shoot. place. Yeah, basically <laughs> when he has to shoot a show when everybody is asleep because we do a lot of night shows, uh, he comes up here and shoots it. And so uh, we appreciate his family's understanding as always and uh, having me here. But JB, we've got a lot to talk about here. I'm yeah. just looking down at our script here uh, for this show. Uh, we've got pretty much we hate to do it to you folks, but a little bit of a COVID conversation we have to have with you still at this point in time. We're going to talk about the new region system uh, this year in Division yeah. Three, and one mistake that we think they made that might get resolved at some point, but probably not this season. It's a little late for that. Yeah. We'll also have, well, our top 25. Going to be a little surprising. Why not? Yeah. Hey. Some teams that might uh, be missing in your view, some that... I think we, you know, knocked out of the park uh, pretty much, but you might not agree yet. We'll see what happens. It's, it's a big guess. We'll talk more about that. Yep. Also, we're going to reveal where I'm traveling to in week one for some pre- and post-game antics, some in-game uh, Twitter stuff, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for that. I think you gave away a couple of them on Twitter. kind of the worst-kept secret yeah. in Division Three football. But, yeah, everyone wants to have Frank show up at their stadium. Well... <laughs> Maybe not everybody, but... So, uh, when we were doing the cold open, we hold, held this uh, up, and we want to thank the folks uh, that put this together, the College Football America 2021 yearbook, and yeah. we not cover up the entire name. Uh, this, we should not put it over my face. Yeah, yeah we're getting a little <laughs> bit of a uh, glare here, so I'll make sure I get it close enough for folks to see it, but yeah. uh, it is uh, pretty much Division One, Two, and 3, and NAIA. Easy for me to say JUCO. I think it's basically every football team in the in the country. And so, um, yeah, they reached out to us as, you know, certainly it was one of those things. I think it actually might have been, um, I might have even initiated contact and been like, hey, you know, I'm curious about this. I mean, obviously, both you and I have contributed to um, D3Football.com's kickoff for many years. There really isn't going to be anything like that, probably at least this not this season. Who knows about the future? But this was actually a pretty, you know, pretty good uh, overview. It's about twenty to thirty, forty pages worth of, of information on D three. Uh, they do their own rankings. Um, they have, and honestly, I think the the what I like the the best was this part here with all the team capsules that lists the schedules of every single D three team in the country. So if, you know, for some reason you can't get to a website or, you know, if you're old-fashioned like me, you want to just flip to a page, you know, look it up on a little, you know, sheet of paper, like, oh, okay, so they're playing Bellhaven on, on Thursday, September 20th type of deal. Should, so. should I keep that nearby or in the show? Because Maybe, we yeah, might need it. Might, yeah, we might actually, this might be a, a, something we use all season. So, so I, thanks, guys. We should <laughs> say at the top, this is only part one of our preseason uh, shows yeah. here. Uh, we're going we're too long-winded to just yeah. do one. We're, <laughs> We're going to actually uh, focus on uh, some 
of the regions uh, specific to what we're going to cover this season. So yeah. we'll tell you more about that in a little bit, but be aware, this is kind of the catch-all show, a national perspective show, and then we're going to go a little bit more regional uh, next week. Uh, this is probably dropping on Tuesday, uh, as uh, we had predicted. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we uh, kind of predict putting out four smaller shows about the regions we'll be covering. That might give away a little bit here. But COVID. So we've been through a lot. We know we've been through a lot here. And we ain't done yet. Uh, Delta, uh, you know, it's a word that we hear in a lot of different senses and fraternities. Uh, if you're a student athlete and stuff but the Delta variant of COVID is causing issues across the country. There's no doubt yeah. how much does your vaccination protect you in reality. And that leads to another question, too. As I say vaccination, what schools are going to require them and which aren't? Uh, and that's going to play a certain role here, too, as we get deeper into the season and Delta rears its head. Many people think that we'll see a subsiding of the Delta variant numbers by the end of September, but that means that the first month of college football in Division Three or wherever you are, it's going to be exposed to the potential problems it can yeah. still bring. You looked at the NCAA guidance on this. Uh, we uh, reached out to uh, some friends as well along the way to uh, kind of make heads or tails of this. JB, what, what is your sense here of what could happen in a worst-case scenario with the current COVID situation? Well, I mean, the worst-case situation is going to be probably cancellations of games and, and possible suspension of seasons, at least in the short term. I mean, for better or for worse, the, the vaccination and unvaccination protocols do create sort of separate and segregated student populations. And so you may get to a point where there's enough to, you know, guys to field the team, but that puts them at risk for injuries if there's not enough substitutions. Um, you know, it just depends. I mean, some football coaches you talk to, if their college president or AD is telling them that everyone's going to be vaccinated, a college football coach is going to make sure that that, that happens. And there's going to be no questions. Maybe there will be some waivers or whatnot and this kind of thing. But the, the football coach will, you know, get, get the info and what they'll do what they have to do. Uh, but for the kids that are unvaccinated for whatever reason, and even some of the kids who are vaccinated, like let's say one of, you know, there's gonna be kids out there that they're gonna get this breakthrough thing and it's it's gonna affect them and they may be asymptomatic. They might, you know, just have more like flu-like symptoms, but they'll have to quarantine and you know, the contact tracing. And we're not out of this whole thing yet by even a long shot. We had uh, presented uh, some discussion on NIL with uh, Matt Land, who is the athletic director at Trine University. And uh, we actually asked a question in that interview that we pulled out from the NIL discussion because we wanted to make sure we focus on NIL in that yeah. show. But uh, this was a few weeks back, and we discussed with him the where we've been and where we're going as far as COVID goes, because Trine was pretty much ahead of the pack in the fall, still yeah. playing games or whatnot, yeah. how they got through that and what his sight of what's next is. And it's actually really worth the listen. So please watch this. What were some of the lessons that you've learned over that, <laughs> over that process? And what would, you know, what kind of advice would you give to schools that are, they're trying to get back online for the first time and, Geez, almost two years now. I think the the most impactful thing that I said and I kind of used as uh, 
as my own personal motto during all of this was um, I want to be the person and we want to be the athletic department and we want to be the, the, the school that finds reasons to play, not finds reasons not to play. If that makes any sense at all, it made a lot of sense to me and to us and our department and our school because (laughs) athletics is important. This has been my whole life. I've played or coached or now athletic director at a school um, and I'm even coaching still. I'm helping with my son's high school team. You know, I, my whole life, people understand, need to understand, yes, they are coming to every university to get a degree. And that's the number one priority. priority and there, there is no second guessing that statement. But they also are athletes and want to be an athlete. We have to respect that too. They came to our school to play football. We have a strong <laughs> academic profile of yeah. incoming freshmen and, and so you can be both a couple things. Sometimes people like to like shy away from the athletic side of the university. Some schools, we put it on the front porch for everybody to see. We are a school that believes and will support athletics to the hilt. And first and foremost, we are an outstanding academic institution and you can do both. And we've, we've been able to, to show that, um, with respect to playing again after 60 days, um, you can play. Um, as administrators, we have to do some some stuff that we <laughs> we don't. We gave thirty thousand tests last year. You know, every single one of my fall sports played in the fall, the winter, and the spring, and everybody played in the spring. You can find a way. Yes, you're going to have canceled games. Yes, you're going to have canceled practices. Or you're going to have to quarantine people. Um, that's just part of what's going on right now. It's part again. We I I want to embrace things. So we embraced the suck, right? You know, I'm a Cubs fan. That was a big thing a few years ago, embrace the suck. You know, and sometimes yeah. you just got to do it. For me to do my job, if I am not athletic directoring, for lack of a better term, a football game or a baseball game or a yeah. softball game, there's no need for me. My job is to find ways to play our games and get our kids the experience that we sold them when we recruited them. That's my job. And yeah. I take it very seriously. So we rolled up our sleeves and and uh, put on our white smock and mask and gloves and tested people three times a week, the entire school year. And we quarantined and told people you could not play to this week or these two weeks, you're out. And we just rotated our roster. I told my coaches from the get-go, we have a game scheduled. We have enough people to play. We're going to go play. I don't care who those kids are. Those kids deserve to play. And if you want to think about it in a different way, now you're taking you have an opportunity to take the bottom half of your roster, get them a very valuable experience early in their career that they probably wouldn't have gotten in a regular year. That's valuable too. So yeah, there's you can call it semantics or sales or whatever you want. It doesn't matter. We were going to play the games. However, you want to sell it, however you have to sell it to yourself to get through it. Um, it was hard. I mean, it was hard. A lot of a lot of really sad and hard discussions and and daily very difficult uncomfortable decisions that had to be made you know as you deal with these kids and those kind of things but um for lack of a better term if you're a dull enough to make those decisions you can do it and uh and we just we just stuck our neck out there i think coming back after 600 days you need to make sure that uh the coaches have been on them this summer about their their conditioning level coming into camp. 
Um, a lot of times some of the older players will be able to just kind of cruise into camp a little bit, kind of use camp to get in shape. Um, we hope not, but you know, there's, there's reality also. That's not, I don't yeah. think an option right now. You've got to come in camp in shape, ready to go and then use camp to get in, in better shape, to get in football shape by the time you play the first game, because you're, you're smaller, your joint activity, right. Is going to be far less the stress you're putting on those. So when you're looking at knee joint injuries, those are the ones that you're going to see because they haven't used those stabilizing muscles in a very, very long time, the way they use them. And when you go from zero to hundred percent, that's when things get hurt. So um, conditioning and, and, and that programming into your first probably 10 practices, some things of, of varying levels of exertion. So AD land is basically saying to us, it's going to be an interesting yin and yang between schools with the vaccination requirements and the not vaccination requirements out there. As we learn more about Delta variant breakthrough cases, et cetera, and what the vaccination is and is not able to do, that's going to be interesting as well. It's going to be another, I think, baptism by fire for all of us as we try to learn how to navigate through this. The schools, as he said, may be getting into more fights, not less fights about things down the line. It's very possible that things are going to be rougher in yeah. the discussions. Yep. But the important part here, we're playing. And that's something you know that we've been standing by since last March. Uh, let them play. And it looks like the schools are all letting them play. We've heard nobody backing off that idea right now because I think there is enough understanding, enough science, enough tolerance of the situation to understand that the right thing to do right now is to let them play, get the vaccinations in place, and see where we go from there and react if we need to later on. However, we're hearing of schools that are going to, as we said in the cold open, RPI for instance, potentially not allow visiting fans on campus. Right. That's an interesting problem because where does the science stand on that? The science says you're outdoors, socially distanced, you're okay. Uh, I, I don't necessarily get that, and I, I hope that they revisit that one. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of examples where we've seen, obviously, in, in recent weeks even, I mean, where outdoor events are back and they can happen safely. And, uh, you know, there's the biggest challenge, and it's kind of something that's been affecting our country for a few years now, is that there isn't going to be a single you know rule that every put you know, every school and every conference and everyone's going to follow. Each each institution is going to have its own rules. Each conference is going to have a twist on it. The SAA, for instance, you know, tweeted today about their um, you know their basic COVID policies and attendance policies for the fall, and they basically you know had a few of the you know the line item ones that follow NCAA and the and the CDC and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, they, they were very specific in saying that it's ultimately up to the host institutions on what they want to do. Yeah. And that's and that may change over the course of several weeks. Now, certain conferences like, you know, are sort of, you know, or, origins within the huddle with two L's. Um, the Liberty League is, is going to be pretty regionalized. Everyone's within a few hours of each other. They're not really going to leave New York State. Now, other conferences like maybe the New Mac, where you have teams in New England that have to go down to Washington, D.C., or vice versa. It's a different story. The Southeast, you know, a little more spread out. The SAA, 
Um, ASC is more centrally located in Texas, but Texas is the size of, you know, it's, it's pretty big too. So it, it'll, it'll change, it'll evolve. And I think the, you know, one thing that we'll just learn kind of each week is just kind of hold your breath and hope that everything, you know, kicks off. Not like what we saw in the spring near the end of that spring season where all of a sudden we had one cancellation and then two and then five and then 10 and by half the games basically yeah. cancel each week toward yeah. the end of it. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So we'll see where it goes, uh, but don't expect perfection in this by any stretch of the imagination, folks. It's not going to happen, but let's all work to make sure we get as close to that as possible. Be safe out there and make sure you get your vaccination if you have not done so already and booster shot when they uh, advise to do that. Okay, uh, regionalization. <laughs> so we decided that the four region system was broken for some reason. Even though regions per se don't matter anymore, yeah, it's a weird thing that they decided they're going to do it anyway, and uh, have different numbers of ranked teams in each region because there's different number of teams in each of these regions now. There are six regions, and they're beautifully named: Region One, Two, Three, Four, Five, Six, instead of a regional name like New England, Mid Atlantic, Southeast, South, or South even, yeah. yeah, Great Lakes, Midwest, and West. Yeah. That would have been great. West Coast. So let's look at this and let, let's play. Let's play the what really went wrong here uh, question. Uh, so region one really is New England. It's CCC, ECFC, MASCAC, NESCAC, NUMAC, and MAC. And don't forget the NESCAC does not play uh, in the playoffs. So uh, those ten teams, while it makes it fifty-three, kind of is really forty-three teams in that uh, region. Region 2, uh, we would call the uh, Mid-Atlantic, basically, uh, lovingly here. Uh, Empire 8, Liberty League, NJAC, and Centennial, which kind of goes away from the Mid-Atlantic per se because it's... Yeah, but uh, Johns Hopkins, for instance, yeah, is in there, so Baltimore. there's some nexus to it. Yeah. Region 3, uh, we call the South because it's the ODAC, the President's uh, Conference. Okay, that's not really the South, but they've always... Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, they've always been in the South region for some reason, so mm. why change? The SAA and the USA South. Yep. Uh, no American Southwest Conference, so. Let's see where they put them. Hmm, I wonder. Region 4, the Heartland. <laughs> Michigan Intercollegiate. Yeah, that's also the, uh, what is it, MIAA, we yeah. should call that. Yep, the uh, NCAC, North Coast, and the Ohio Athletic Conference. And so 36 teams there, just like in Region 3. By the way, Region 2 only had 32 teams. Uh, hmm. That's an interesting note to give you. Uh, then Region Five, which we're calling the Great, or the West, or I'm sorry, the Great Midwest. Lakes. Midwest. It's the Midwest. Okay. Uh, I would call it. I'm looking back at this Great Lakes, sort of in the previous one with Michigan, uh, Ohio. Right. Watch us do geography lessons live on our show right now. <laughs> yeah. The ARC, the MWC, uh, the NAC, and the CCIW are in there with 39 teams. Then we bulk up to 52 teams for some unknown reason in Region Six, the West which includes the American Southwest Conference, the MIAC, the NWC, the SCIAC, the WIAC, and the UMAC. Why? What, what would have happened if you put the ASC to Region 3 and made that 46 teams and this one 42 teams ultimately? It would have been smarter. And I just don't get what they're attempting to do here. What, what was the reasoning to do this besides maybe keeping sports, I guess, cohesive in how the regionalization was working but you know football is its own animal as it is i don't see the need yeah. to have done this well maybe it's to do something around the 
ranking and the you know when you, when you read off the the conferences in Region Six, and I think I read this from a poster on the you know D three boards. I think the last twenty Stag Bowls had a team um, from one of these conferences in it over the last twenty years. Well, yeah, I think the WIAC for how many years yeah. uh, had uh, the Whitewater. Whitewater, thank yeah. you, and Oshkosh was in there, yeah. and uh, UMHP, et cetera. So, yeah, and that's Iac, true. And St. Thomas before they they got the boot, they had uh, you know St. John's. Um, yep. You know, it's just. It is it is a heavily concentrated grouping of kind of the super Pacific Lutherans out there too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, that have you know Linfield has been a national championship yep. contender in, in the last couple of decades. So it is kind of strange that this whole thing got grouped up. Now I feel at the end of the day, Frank, and you know we'll we'll talk to you know friends like Jim Catanzaro or others. You know, I mean Dewey Nats, I think is is back in He's charge. He's a chair. Yep. Um, so and we he's been on the show in the past, so I assume he'll join us yet again, um, and we'll talk about whether or not this whole structure even matters. Because I have a feeling at the end of the day, it's especially with some of the challenges of COVID and how much money has been lost, it's going to boil down to how do we make the least amount of flights and kind of you know set up the bracket, sort of like we've always had. I mean, maybe it leaves certain teams on the bubble to being picked as a pool C, which I think the number is still five um, for so this dope. season. Uh, so it might make it a little more interesting there for a little while, but at the end of the day, I think you know because it's so geared towards the pool A automatic qualifier, the tournament's going to look like it kind of always does. But we'll see. Yeah, it affects only how many teams are up for consideration ultimately yeah. at the same time for pool C. Instead of just four teams being lined up, it's not six teams being lined up each round. Yeah, but there's so few pool C spots that you would have to think that it shouldn't matter. Now, we know enough to know it might matter slightly, but it, it's going to affect possibly the 32nd team picked. I say that, but I believe North Central was the 32nd team picked last go around. They oh, won the championship. Yeah. So <laughs> 32 might matter. Uh, yeah. So we'll see where it goes. Yep. So what does that mean for our coverage here? Because obviously we were an East Region show for a while. Um, here's basically your answer. Region 1, New England. Region 2, Mid-Atlantic. And Region 3 are all going to be covered by us. And Region 4 uh, is going to have some level of coverage as well by us. And Regions 5 and 6 will have less of us because it's just outside our ability to travel to some of these areas. So we can't dedicate the same level of coverage like me going to visit the teams or the games. We're going to throw in the ASC into the mix of conferences we do give a bigger concentration to because I'm a little bit able to, and maybe from time to time you will be able to, JB, get to games in those zones of uh, the ASC. Yeah. But the, the whole goal here is to try to give you each week a scoreboard show, interviews, highlights, etc. like you're used to from what we did in the spring especially. Yeah. But it's going to be a little more diluted because we're going to have more games per week that we're covering. Yeah. But don't don't worry. Nationally for the other regions if there are big stories or close games or exciting highlights, we're going to bring them to you. You know, we're not going to just lob off a, a portion of the uh, D3 country here. Yeah, exactly. We're going to do what we can, but we also realize that it's just two of us and a 60-minute show to the degree we can make it such. 
um, with a couple maybe extra pieces throughout the week. Yep. So, you know, bear with us. We're going to try to get our uh, legs under us on how to handle this the first couple of weeks. But we're going to give you the best possible coverage we can because we feel you deserve it. And we're not sure what other outlets are going to do uh, throughout this. Uh, you know, a lot of questions came up. Well, you know, no kickoff from D3Football.com. Well, no, there's not. Uh, if you want some uh, coverage there, the College Football America yearbook that we uh, talked talk to you about might be a good fill-in at least for yeah. that. But uh, you will at least get something, you know, from D3Football.com every yeah. year. And uh, probably the same stag bowl coverage and playoff coverage that we're used to. Uh, I hope to still be at the sideline for Canton uh, for Return of Sparkle Man. Yes, thank you. <laughs> in freezing your, you know what off in Canton, in Canton Ohio, Ohio in December the seventeenth. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about that soon. I'm sure. But uh, yeah. and how many layers I'm going to need underneath that jacket? It's only four months away, Frank. Thanks. Appreciate you. So anyway. Uh, We've got a lot coming up here this season. We're excited about it. We're somewhat recharged from the spring, although that was interesting going through that because we didn't expect to bring yeah. you that much coverage. And so it takes a toll on you, but we're back. And we're glad that you're back. And the football is back here for sure. Yep. Okay, now that we sounded like great diplomatic folks, we're going to now present to you our top 25. Why not? So we're going to go through uh, number 25 through 11 a little more quickly and then concentrate a little bit more on 10 through 1. So mm -hmm. fasten your seatbelt. Uh, if you think you're in the top 10, go get a snack here while we uh, yeah. put this together. <laughs> and uh, here we go. Here we go. At number 25, DePaul. Uh, they were one of the uh, teams that did have some exposure to spring football. Yep. And uh, Central at number 24, uh, the Dutch, I believe, had one game as well. Was it one or two games? I'm trying to think back here. Two. Two games. And uh, both of them, it, it's interesting because Central, it was a team that uh, D3Football.com had much higher, I think, in the 14 range. Mm -hmm. uh, we got them at 24. It's tough to really gauge. And let, let's say this right now. It's tough to gauge when you have two sets of data that have almost nothing to do with each other in terms of the top 25 that we ended with in 2019, and then this top 25 we did at least for the spring, it, piecing this all together. Just because you played in the spring doesn't mean that you're automatically on this list or vice versa. If you didn't, you may be included in this list, especially as a higher up team. We'll talk about why for those teams in a bit, but let me just be specific here. It was tough to do this, and I think even the D3Football.com voters, with the number of others receiving votes, it's emblematic of a situation where you don't have enough data to really give yeah. decisive views on where these teams land. Yeah, and I think one of the disclaimers for every single one of these polls, Frank, has got to be the fact that literally half of these rosters or every team in Division Three is made up of anywhere from 50 to... 70, let's say, man, I know that some schools like non-union and UMHB have these 200 plus rosters. So maybe there's a hundred fresh, you know, freshmen and sophomores. They've never played it down at college football. Um, we don't know if the, you know, the next you know, future Gallardi trophy winner is, you know, at St. John's or at, at Mount Union or whatever that's, you know, up and comer. Um, so yeah, we're going to be making some assumptions based on what we saw in the spring, what we know sort of the historical track record of these teams are and their coaching staffs and so on. But, you know, don't be surprised in week one if you see some major upsets just because it, there's, there's going to be a lot of players in this season that we've never even heard of before. Yep. 
Yeah, 100%. So we go back to the reason why we got into that discussion. Central is 24 on ours, but 14 in d3football.com. Hanover, uh, a team that uh, we went back and forth on when we were discussing this. Uh, it's at number 23, but the weeks they played and the experience they got, they seemed to be growing as that spring season went forward. And they've got an exciting offense, to say the least. So yep. I look forward to see what they can produce. And then Whitworth at number 22, uh, Mr. Pelequin, uh, who we had yeah. on the show, uh, Ethan uh, did a great job uh, for them. Uh, they've got a lot of their uh, pieces back from what we can tell offensively, especially. Yeah. And they're going to be a team to contend with out West uh, this Absolutely. season. Heidelberg is number 21. And you know the story there. Uh, it's, it's a team in the OAC that didn't perform well against Mount Union. We get it. But a team that really grew through the season and in spite of some pretty serious challenges. Yeah, for those that weren't with us yeah. in the spring, go ahead. Well, they yeah, they lost one of their senior linebackers to an unfortunate accident and passed away. And um, yeah, so I mean, the, the fact that they were able to continue to even keep going and, and play for that OAC championship says a lot about their resolve. And this is one of those things where, you know, on just based on what they their record, the games that they won and what they've overcome, I think they deserve to be in the top 25. Yeah, and uh, still in our memory, Curtis Hellman uh, passing away, uh, just still sad. And obviously the team came together and gelled to get their divisional uh, title before uh, losing to Mount Union in the championship game. Uh, so we'll see how they uh, respond from that. Coach Donaldson uh, you know, has been very supportive of our show uh, after all that, and we've been supportive of their program. Uh, that is not why they're showing up on this list. They play some yeah. great football there, yeah. and they grew a lot from this. And the maturity level that you gain from those situations, you can't write that down. It's an intangible, honestly. Yeah. Bethel in the Mayak in number 20. And this is one of those, hey, St. Thomas isn't in the uh, Mayak anymore, and uh, this is going to be a team that may gain from that fact, yeah. exposure-wise and experience-wise. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Union College in number 19, and our friend Will Bellamy and uh, his uh, receiver Will Sermon that we talked to every so often are probably going to be mad at us because D3Football.com had them in at number 15. We had them at 19, still very good, our top 20. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that it, you, know, you shuffle a couple points here or there, and they would have been actually in the 15 range for us. So yep. it's no slight on Union. They're, they're a good team, and they have a lot of experience coming back, to say the least. Randolph Macon, the winners of the ODAC, in at 18. Hendricks at number 17 after the SAA runner-up scenario. Mm -hmm. Brockport at 16. Now, this is going to be an interesting season for Brockport because I think defensively they're going to be their normal selves. It's going to be a question of how is that offense looking ultimately, the pieces that they need to put into place, and they had some struggles in that last go-around in 2019. Yep. Uh, you know, they pieced it together, obviously, but it's going to be very, very tough, I think, for them to repeat again in a very tough Empire 8 scenario. We'll see what happens, but we think they have a pipeline to get enough players to at least make a statement and maybe still win it, but it's not going to be easy out yeah, there. Absolutely. Uh, Del Val in, at number 15. And, uh, you know, Shamir uh, Vessels uh, transferred from Wesley to there before Wesley's announcement uh, earlier this year that mm -hmm. they would not be in existence any longer. And that's tough for us to swallow still, for, as I say that. Yeah. But Delaware Valley definitely uh, kind of uh, pumping their chests out on social media right now. 
Yeah, um, and you know, I think defensively they they have you know sort of the 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 moxie to, to get away with that, but they did lose some pretty uh, critical p- parts of their offense from 2019. And so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they'll still be a favorite uh, at going into the season to probably win the MAC. Um, and the fact that they're in region one from uh, Pennsylvania uh, with all these new England schools, that's kind of a weird matching up there, but long story short, you know, the Aggies are, are probably the team to beat, and we'll have to wait and see, you know, how they backfill certain key positions. But they, once again, kind of like Brockport, you know, steady, um, just still probably still hitting the recruiting trail hard and, and getting a lot of talented athletes for their team. Yeah, and uh, that's one thing we did bring up. That putting them into the MAC does put them into a very odd uh, positioning when we were looking at these regions earlier. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure why they insisted on doing that just the same way. They could have put them into Region 2 and balanced out with 42 and 43 teams, although the NESCAC might be the cause of it uh, at yeah. the end of the day for them. So yeah. uh, interesting problem uh, and another thing that maybe they'll iron out later. Here we go. Washington and Jefferson in at number 14, and they were the runners-up to Westminster in the PAC championship game. Uh, they bring a lot of teams back, uh, or a lot of players back, yeah. excuse me, a lot of teams back. No, they bring a yeah. lot of players back, though. Uh, a lot of seniors, and Coach Sirianni and company are very confident about how the season is looking, so we'll see where it goes for them. Yep. And then uh, Barry in at number 13, the winners of the SAA championship uh, back in the spring, that was a great championship game in Little Rock. Uh, Westminster in at number 12. So just talking about how they've beaten Washington and Jefferson uh, for the PAC championship. Uh, the, the, you know, uh, some people are not believers right now Westminster. We'll see what they're made of in that first game of the season, the Mount Union game. More on that in a little bit, folks. And number 11, Muhlenberg. Uh, the Mules have Mike uh, Nakowski back, I believe, as quarterback, and so that's a big thing. But some folks are not confident that they can repeat even a Centennial Conference champions here, as Susquehanna may make a peep, they feel. Yeah. Johns Hopkins is always there, too. So yep. Muhlenberg's getting an interesting treatment here. And uh, you know what? I think your good old coaching friend there uh, down at Muhlenberg. Or Coach up, Nate. Yeah. yeah. He's mm-hmm. he's going to kind of salivate the, the disrespect level for not being in the top 10 in either our poll or the D3Football.com poll. You know, I think, uh, you know, Coach Nate, being a Hobart guy like myself, will probably embrace that that underdog mentality and or you know it's a chip on their shoulder a little. You know they were a Final Four team, um, and you know they had a great season in 2019. But yeah, they're are the Frankie Feasters back? No, uh, it's a different different kind of defense. It'll be a different type of. Um, uh, you know, personnel uh, type of situation. So it'll be interesting to see how the Mules handle, uh, you know, kind of that added pressure of being the top dog in the conference and having that target on their back and getting everybody's, you know, best shot week after week. Uh, but they certainly could do it again. And, and in that Region 2 lineup, I mean, it sets them up for a potential top seed, depending on how the other New York and other conferences kind of beat each other up. But again, they're not in the top 10. So let's look at our top 10 teams a little more slowly here. First off, Wisconsin Oshkosh in at number 10. This is interesting because this is a team that, you know, has not been back to the Stag Bowl since, what was it, 2016? Mm -hmm. But they seem to keep their engines running here. They seem to be doing well still. 
and seem to have a chance to still, you know, overturn Wisconsin Whitewater each time they play them. But, and as such, you can imagine Wisconsin Whitewater is going to be above them somewhere here. But this is a team that's got national prominence still. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at the just the whole WIAC conference, I mean, the, the size of the schools, the importance of, of football to the that mid upper midwestern region i mean they, they you know they're they're getting some great talented athletes and um you know they have a track record and they've they've been you know kind of the, the you know the runner-up in in the conference a few times now i know they've sort of you know split with um i think lacrosse in, in the past couple seasons like one beats the other and vice versa and they haven't really been able to uh get over the hump with whitewater but you know, you put them in a NCAA tournament, you know, game, even if they're the road team, and in most cases they're probably gonna be favored. Let's go to number nine, Linfield. Now, that's mm. a team that a lot of people are starting to feel like, yeah, maybe they're running into a wall here a little bit. They've had all these decades of success and everything else. But you, yeah. you just can't count them out. I mean, I had my exposure to them when they came to see uh, Rowan, yeah. and I don't believe they're going to return the favor this year. Yeah. But Linfield is still a force to be reckoned with in the West. Yeah, and from at least what we know, they, they have a, a pretty strong core of players coming back um, from a team that won a conference championship. And so they you got to give them you know some some you know benefit of the doubt and respect because when they when they get into the tournament they can hang with pretty much anybody um, so we'll see number 8 Salisbury a team that played in spring had basically the NJAC quasi title uh, scenario there Jack Lanham and company, uh, they still do what they do very well. I, they seem like they had some bumps a little bit during some of the games in the spring that they played, but they pulled it all together. And I think now that they're back in normal practice force, uh, Lanham and company are going to be that much better. And probably, if I look quickly here, that is the top East or former East region team, we'll call it, yeah. in our survey here. Uh, and this survey is JB and I will be full disclosure on this, but we used our spring uh, rankings and the 2019 rankings that we had between us to formulate this on the information we have. Uh, so Salisbury in at number eight, and I believe that actually uh, matches uh, dfreefootball.com in this yeah. case. Yeah, yeah. Most what we what we saw that we had some real overlap with with the d3football.com poll was really in the top 10. Um, 11 to 25, there were certain cases where there was some overlap. I think you and I, having really seen the pack and SAA games kind of really kind of not necessarily up close and in person, but we, we followed those games pretty closely. They were great. Those conferences have always been highly regarded. Um, so I think we maybe gave them a little bump um, that the national sort of other voters may may not have done or, or have seen so on and so forth but yeah I mean Salisbury very unique kind of an offensive system with a triple option but they can still spread it out and throw the ball on you um, once again a, a, a long time kind of success with recruiting um, strong athletes and and so we'll get to see um, you know them pretty early on they have a huge game in week two against Whitewater in in Maryland um, one of our local buddies here is trying to get me to fly up for that. We'll see, um, you know, but uh, the the Gulls are going to be a, a force to be reckoned with, not just in the East, but nationally. 
In at number seven, St. John's. Now pretty much the top dog in the Mayak, if you have to really think about that for long. Uh, yeah. You don't know the Mayak. Uh, now that St. Thomas is gone uh, from there, yeah. uh, who's going to compete against them? Bethel will make some peeps, I'm sure, but yep. it's going to be an interesting uh, Mayak this season to see how it all plays out. Maybe they would be higher if St. Thomas was in here because maybe we would feel a little bit more confident about not maybe. just where they are, but where they're going here. Yeah, or if there's a guy named Jackson Erdman who is back. That's true, too. <laughs> good, good call. I, I like that call. I'm sure that his backup or, you know, his heir apparent is also fairly talented, but Urban was a kind of a once in a decade type of, of QB, I would say. I mean, still just, trying to find some pro uh, yeah, traction right yeah, now. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, he was he was a definitely a rarefied heir. So you got to give the Johnnies, you know, that kind of credit. And I think also too, like you said, without St. Thomas, um, part of the reason I think, at least from for me anyway, you can speak for yourself, but part of the reason why I put Bethel in my top twenty-five was because. The reality is, is that the runner-up in the Mayak is going to get a pull C bid probably. If they're nine and one, and their only loss is to St. John's, who's undefeated, that team's getting into the field. Yeah, eight and two may be tough uh, now with yeah, the no. situation. Although we did lose ten teams uh, or yeah. nine teams in the division, so things are a little bit more diluted when you think about it. But eight and two will still be tough with only five pull C bids. If that's yep. the accurate number ultimately here. Number six is uh, the runner-up to Mary Harden Baylor in the uh, ASC Championship game in the spring. It was uh, blanked on the uh, conference name there. But if we took the first half alone of that game, you wouldn't think they belong in the top ten. But second half, they almost tied the game uh, in the end. And yeah. it's credit to Kyle Jones and company. Uh, the real deals, I think, in the ASC and uh, Harden-Simmons. Uh, look. It's it's one of those 1A, 1B scenarios, but they've been 1B so much that mm -hmm. a lot of people are not believing in them anymore. You predicted they would win uh, against Mary Harden Baylor, and Got they did. a lot of fans in Dalton. Yep. yep. <laughs> and then uh, I think you lost some fans uh, with the Harden Sims uh, crew because at the end you said they might not be able to get over the hump. Can they do it this go around? Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to do the proverbial Pedro Martinez. You know, they they – for a long time, uh, the Crusaders have been their daddy, and they eventually just have to, to beat them and kind of put that behind them and, and get that championship that they've been close. And they certainly um, can, can do some damage in a national tournament, and they certainly will probably end up there, possibly. Um, but they, they have to figure out a way to get one over on the Crusaders, and they... It really fell apart in the first half of that game. It looks like they were just, I don't know if they were psyched out, what happened. But once they started believing in themselves, they came back. And had there been a little more time, who knows? Number five is a team that beat the national champions in 2019, the year they won the national championship. It's Wheaton. And, you know, it's the forgotten fact of 2019 is yeah. that Wheaton did beat NCC that's early right. in the season. Mm -hmm. And still, that's why they had to become a pool C team to reach the championship and win it in North yeah. uh, Central. Wheaton uh, in at number five. And they bring a decent number of players back. Mm -hmm. And some people actually have them picked above NCC to win the CCIW this go around. Yeah, well, um, you know, no Brock Rudder in Naperville is going to help, <laughs> theoretically, although yeah. the, there could be some D1 transfers or other stuff going on there that we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Um, the defending champs don't play until week two, so we won't really know for a little while. But the Thunder had one of the best offenses in the country, one of the best running backs in the country. 
um, and they, they can play defense. So yeah, they they have a full full package, and you know any team like that, especially at that high level in the in a conference like the CCIW, really deserves to be up in the top five. Let the controversy begin at number four. Mm. D3Football.com's number one team is our number four team, UMHB. This one really was a head-scratcher for me when I saw the D3Football.com yeah. poll come out. Because in reality, you and I watched a team in the spring that really struggled to find mm -hmm. their offensive identity, I would say, quarterback-wise, etc. And I think the spring was very useful. If they didn't have the spring, I think they would lose two games this season. I'll be honest they with might. you. Yeah. Now, could they lose one game this season against, let's say, Hard Sims, perhaps? Sure they could. Maybe. It's, yeah. it's possible. But what I'm feeling here, and I think you agree with this, is that this team was not better than Mount Union in the spring. No. And so how do you impute suddenly that they're the better team than Mount Union in the fall. Yeah. I don't quite get it. Gotta watch the games, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, you know, to the Crusaders' credit, I mean, they had this young, inexperienced offensive line that over the course of the spring season really came together and started to dominate. And the big reason why uh, Harden Simmons was kind of blown out in the first half of that championship game was because that offensive line just took control and demolished the Cowboys up front. And it was really impressive. Now, that alone might make you think, okay, that kind of a line coming back could give you a number one um, you know, type of ranking. But the quarterback play, once again, we're seeing you know, kind of sub-50% you know, completion percentages, a lot of um, what I'll call RPO but with a capital R, a little P, and a big O. Not, not great passing numbers. Um, a lot of more quarterbacks are able to run and break some, you know, break some runs open. But then it's not a, a national championship kind of a formula, in my opinion. The defense and the Jefferson Fritzes and all that will get you some pick sixes. And the special teams um, that they have over there in, in Belton is amazing, probably the best in the country. But if you don't have a, a quarterback that can throw the ball, uh, you know, like, like a Braxton Plunk, for instance, it's going to be hard to win a title. Yeah, I just I, I don't get it. I still don't. Uh, I think that Mount Union is better on both sides of the ball. I mean, I just making that comparison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we got two other teams we got to talk about before possibly Mount Union. If that's our number one team, which we're not sure yet, we'll see in a second. Uh, number three, Wisconsin Whitewater, a team that we wish had played in the spring because yeah. I think we would have learned a lot more about them. But a team that seemed like in 2019 with Max Myler and company were really on the way to something big in 2020 if they had been able to play. Yeah. Now, I think we're going to see exactly who they are, and I honestly believe that they still are that team. They are a pipeline. For the same reason we still put Rockport in the top 20, we put Whitewater in the top five still because they are still that team, okay? They still have the name, and we heard some interesting rhetoric from other Wisconsin teams or one in particular, their athletic director about what they needed to do to try to knock them off the perch. Yeah. Well, that should tell you right there that they believe that the perch is still there for a team like Whitewater and Oshkosh for that matter, but sure. especially Whitewater. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Warhawks have been just the, they've been so consistent. And even if they're not, you know, winning, you know, six stag bowls like they were for that one stretch, um, you know, they were the runner up in 2019. Uh, they've, they're always in the national conversation, you know, kind of constant Final Four uh, quality team just because of, the, like you said, the pipeline, the facilities, um, all the all the things they have going for them. So I think once again, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's possible that this Warhawks team, though, I mean, 
It wouldn't surprise me if they went to Salisbury and lost that game in week two. Uh, it might, you know, not, you know, it probably wouldn't derail their season per se, and they could still get a very high seed if they ran the table and won the WIAC. But there's enough about that team that we just don't know, like you said, because 2020 they didn't really get to do anything. In, 20, in the spring they weren't around, so it might take them a while to um, to get their act together. But then again, we might see them in week one and be like, whoa, <laughs> You know, absolutely. And so this is going to be interesting to see how they do turn out. Yep. The WIAC is always a tough conference. And always so the best, if yeah. they win it, they're going to prove themselves to be all that. And then some here. Sure. North Central in at number two, uh, the reigning national champs. Uh, I, I well, at least on the field, we uh, named our own for the spring, obviously. But yeah. on the field, it's the reigning stag bowl champs. How's that? Is that how we say now? Yep. Uh, they are still a very solid team. They bring back quite a few players still on both sides of the ball, and they are getting Division One transfers to attend. When you win a national championship, you, yeah, and you create a pipeline, especially <laughs> yeah. a team in that geographic region, it is not that tough to draw, let's say, middling players in the Division One FCS context to come down to Division Three down, I mean, whatever you yeah. want to call it, come to Division Three at, at a school like NCC that especially now has a proven track record. So the extra time may have actually helped North Central to get ammoed up yep. for this season. I don't know if Coach Storm would necessarily agree with me on that or at least admit that, but at the same time, I can't see a reason to take them down further to number two until proven otherwise right now. Yeah, and like and I said before, we'll, we'll have to wait a couple weeks to, to see, you know, see them on the field, but yeah, you have to give them credit for that amazing season that they had in 2019 and you know there's still some some key players from that championship team but you know that, that running back receiver like he was uncoverable and like no one could stay with that guy he's back and that alone gives you probably you know 21 points in a game right out of the right out of the gate regardless of who you're playing yep so it's going to be one of those situations where you know they're the defending champs from from the stag bowl and, uh, you know, a lot of people will be gunning for them. But like you said, with that extra year, especially with some of the um, some of the roster changes and some of the schools that have gone away and, you know, changes in NCAA eligibility rules and whatnot. Um, yeah, you could see some interesting new players on that squad that could you know, get them right back to where they were in 2019. And number one. No surprise, Mount Union. Uh, yeah. Look, they were the best team out there in the spring. We can't say any different than that. And you know that most of those guys are back again in the fall yeah. that were seniors in the spring. Um, yeah. You go to Mount Union to play football uh, if you're a football player. I don't think we're you know, short, giving short shrift to the academics there and everything else. Okay, but Mount Union football is something special that you go there to play. Okay, you don't go there to have a year off because of a COVID situation or just play four or five games in the spring. You go there to come back this year in this situation and play again. And most of the guys that got the extra year, I wouldn't be surprised to see them all opt for the fifth year situation. Well, that's what we heard from Cordell Ford when we interviewed yep. him back in March. Yep. He's a all-American caliber, um, sort of a rover safety um, hybrid uh, outside linebacker type, but he was basically like, you know, our team is on a mission. Like we never should have lost to North Central in that um, second round game. And we want to come back and win a national championship in our home state, literally a few miles away from campus. 
And, um, you know, that Hall of Fame stadium, uh, the, I think we all saw on national television when, uh, I believe, the, you know, the Cowboys and, and the Steelers played a few weeks ago. I mean, grand stage, you know, it's not going to be that full for a, a Division Three Stag Bowl championship game. But if Mountain Union's in that final, uh, a lot of people from Ohio are going to show up for that. And it may give it that, you know, the sort of the big game feel that it really deserves from a, a fan perspective. I mean, obviously it's a big game for the players and the coaches and everybody on the field. But a, a hometown team in the, in the final will definitely add some intrigue. Last time a hometownish team uh, was in the Stag Bowl was Mary Harden Baylor down in Shenandoah, Texas. Obviously not right down the street, but yep. close enough. And they won that, and it does kind of matter if you can get that to happen. And I, they've got a lot to play for as Mount Union. Now, we will talk about an omission from our list because we feel the need to when they're number 11 on D3Football.com's list and they're not to be found in our top 25. Most likely would have been number 26 or 27 if we did the computations out, yeah, worst case 28. But when you get that low, again, it's, it's a point or two when it's just the two of us making the decisions. And we did discuss this. Before we saw the D3Football.com poll come out, because that's when we did ours, we wanted to wait for Pat to get his out before we did ours, or before we put ours out. It was already mm -hmm. done, yep. and we have not changed it since that point. John Carroll, um, this is a team that we admit is a good team. Yeah, No doubt, they played decent football in the spring, uh, struggled in the second half against Mount Union, maybe did better than Heidelberg did uh, from coast to coast in that game. Yeah. But it just seems like the the intangibles give a slight edge right now for me with Heidelberg and knock John Carroll down a little bit further. It's tough for me to believe that John Carroll is the same team that we saw a few years back and they've had coaching transitions since that point. I It's just not – I'm not sold. I'm just not sold right now there. Now, that can change very quickly. We're going to see some, I think – Important games in the first few weeks. Oh, the for first, that. yeah, the, yeah. Week one, they're they're going to host Washington and Jefferson. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that's a that's a battle in theory of two top twenty-five teams based on the D3Football.com poll. It will make us look good if the Presidents win that game. If they don't and they and or lose badly, it will be a little bit of egg on our face. But um, I know Coach Kares was at the uh, recent practice. I know Coach Sirianni uh, tweeted out about you know his his former head coach. He's a Mountain Union guy. You know, coming to talk to his team, and you know I, this uh, this this Washington Jefferson team feels like they're kind of on a mission. And I know that a Mountain Union guy like Coach Sirianni wants to beat their number one you know alumni rival John Carroll in a in a pretty important national game right out of the bat, right right off the bat. Yeah, and I think WJ has a bad taste in their mouth after that Westminster uh, loss yeah, in the championship. With it, yeah. Yep. So uh, here's a chance for redemption for them. Take nothing away from John Carroll. Overall, they are a very good team in the national landscape, but I don't know what they are right now enough to give them into my top 25 personally, and they weren't on my ballot. I don't know if you, I, maybe you had them in the 24 or 25, but it ends up washing out. Yep. Uh, but. The uh, the answer is uh, we we know they're not there on our list and there are the reasons for it. It wasn't a an omission of some sort like we forgot they existed. We had the conversation. We'll see where it goes. Like you said, we could be wearing egg on our face after week one. Be like, Wouldn't be the first or the last time that happens. <laughs> big, biggest fans of John Carroll ever, right here. <laughs> yeah, but uh, listen, I 
I will not be seeing them play on week one, but here's what's going to happen. Let's let's take everybody through my road trip coming up on Labor Day weekend Yeah. to see multiple games of football play. I'm going to start, obviously, in upstate New York, which is home base for me right now, and on Friday morning, trek my way down the thruway to New York City, get myself uh, kind of set up in my apartment for a little bit, and then drive out to FDU hosting Merchant Marine yeah. on that Friday night game. Should be great and uh, fun to see Coach Toop and Jimmy Robertson in his first head coaching opportunity. Officially, yeah. Yep, it's been a long wait for him for yeah. sure. So we're going to try to do some uh, in-game and post-game coverage of that, possibly live, possibly not. We're still formulating exactly what we're going to do there. But we will obviously do Twitter updates as we can and videos from uh, field level to the degree they let us. Obviously, uh, we have to let them know we're coming and see what the rules are going to be about that. Yeah. Then going to drive partway through Pennsylvania, and then in the morning wake up and finish that drive because I want to see our number one team, Mount Union, versus I just got a cheat and look number twelve team yeah. on our list, Westminster at Westminster. I've not uh, attended a pack game, I believe, since uh, what was it? Uh, Carnegie Mellon hosting Union in nineteen ninety seven. I want to say a while ago. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think. The last wow. time I was at a uh, pack venue, at least, yeah, it's been and that long. Actually, this this actually pops into my head too, Frank. That you know, speaking of teams that people might have think we've forgotten, um, we didn't forget about Case Western, no. uh, which was the last pack team to win the pack title in a regular season, not in the spring season. Um, they are certainly a team that will be in the conversation in the running, um, but. Once again, don't really know what's going on there. I know they're bringing some guys back, but, you know, they've been off for an extended period. Um, but there really is no bigger game of the weekend, um, pack or otherwise. I mean, these two programs were some of the best. I think in our spring poll, we had Westminster around, what, number five? So this is, you know, the, from for at least the most recent um, football season that we had in the spring, these were two of the best teams in the country. And they've had some continuity. They've been building up to a really, you know, what should be like a national, almost a national championship kind of game. So after that game, we'll be doing a uh, pregame kickoff show uh, coverage to the degree we have uh, enough broadband out there, and I think we do, or bandwidth. Um, and then uh, in-game again, and some post-game uh, recordings at the very least of interviews that we'll be doing out there. Then I'm going to get in the car and drive north. First time as a New Yorker I will ever get to the city of Buffalo in my life, believe it or not, folks. I, Someone I, get him some chicken wings. Or, or <laughs> a lot of different food that uh, they're renowned for up there. But Buffalo State is hosting uh, a team that could be a very big voice in the Empire 8 this season, St. John Fisher. Yeah. And so I have not gotten to see Buffalo State up close and personal ever, if I remember correctly. And St. John Fisher, it's been a while since I yeah. got to see them. So... Get, yeah, going to get to see that game. We didn't have uh, many choices for night games on Saturday night, but from this West, is a good one. That were drivable from Western yeah, Pennsylvania. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but at the same time, this is a very good one. I, I'm actually interested to see how this turns out. Empire 8 Liberty League uh, challenge of sorts right yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to drive back on Sunday all the way back to upstate New York, uh, Saratoga area. So uh, you can see uh, on the map there what it's, it's like looking like. round robin there. Uh, you can see how many miles it is. I didn't compute it beforehand, but we'll figure it out for the screen right now. 
So uh, we'll get you more information about those uh, visits that we're going to do and the coverage we're going to do. It's going to be important for us to get back on the road to let you guys know we are for real and what we do here and the coverage yeah. we provide. Just look for the guys with these shirts. <laughs> Uh, we we uh, missed being out in the road for yeah. sure, and we're gonna get this guy up here at least or up there at least once mm -hmm. uh, this season, I believe. Stay tuned for that. Okay, that's enough of us uh, at this point. But yeah, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week, we're going to have Region One, Two, Three, and Four previews essentially coming up. Uh, actually, we'll call it Four Plus because we'll look at Four, Five, and Six all together uh, yeah. at that point. So stay tuned for that. It'll be about 20 minutes to 25 minutes for each of those shows, a lot shorter versions, but we'll give you snippets of what to expect and key games early in the season for each of those regions. Jamie, last thought? Well, I just hope that we get to week one and that it's a success. I think getting through a full weekend of games without cancellations, without major issues would be nice. Yep. Just so, you know, Hoping that, that everything goes well. Uh, I know we've been seeing some scrimmages this past weekend between you know, different programs. And you know, the guys are getting back you know, to school. And hopefully uh, we won't be talking about what we talked about in the first part of the show that much. But it's possible. And so I think you, know, you can maybe expect the unexpected. But let's try to hope for the best and, and we'll see what happens. We will do our best to cover which is realistically the most ambitious swath of teams we've ever attempted um the spring season notwithstanding and uh we're excited about it i think we're up for the challenge and it should be a really fun football season i'm gonna get the caffeine ready uh for the uh, road trip and for the entire season and maybe some five-hour energies and some red bull yeah. and if you're of those companies feel free to send me some for free i won't mind it one bit uh, also, thank you to everybody that's been sending us uh, different paraphernalia from your schools, shirts, oh etc. Yeah. I mean, helmets, jerseys. Keep them coming. Don't get me wrong. But our, our respective families are starting to think we're a little weird, but we still love it. Yeah, and what else is new? We'll we'll be uh, showing you a lot of that throughout the season as we get our sets kind of uh, renovated and changed. This is an hour and ten. We're out of here, folks. We'll see you next Monday for more.